So I, I'll start. And, and like I said, guys, uh, how we're going to navigate through this is, is feel free. Uh, there'll be a mic from, from somewhere that'll come your way. And, um, and, and we'll try to engage a little bit, um, over what we heard. And then maybe even if it stirred something in you, um, feel free to, to ask that, uh, uh, yeah, we'll see where the, the, it takes us. But let me let me start us off by by asking. Um, so, as a pastor, um, and so I'm asking this kind of from a pastoral perspective, and then maybe even thinking about some of the leaders uh, in this church and maybe in others. If you're you're visiting here, where where, where have we missed it? Um, where where do we go wrong? Where do we? Be, because clearly, uh, there's a number of people. You know, in our space that we believe God has entrusted to us that are going through this, but maybe you'd put up a slide with, you know, your interactions with some of the pastors and, and to some of their comments. Uh, where have we missed it and then where can we do better? Um, is that a fair question? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I think what we've done within like church context is we've often said emotional pain is not as dire as physical pain. So physical pain we can treat, we can heal. If you've got a broken leg, then that's what we need to do. We need to heal that broken leg. But when there's emotional pain, that the only source of healing for emotional pain is um, prayer, scripture, and, and those things that are available to us. And those are available to us. But I think what what would be beneficial is if we worked more holistically and if we worked as teams of people. So often I work with pastors in my um, practice and I see someone from one perspective and then the pastors see them from another perspective. So I think what we need is freedom, the freedom to say within church context, as a Christian, this is how I feel, this is what I'm battling with, um, and how do we go forward from here? I think it's about freedom and and an absence of judgment that would make it far easier for people to be able to be open about what, what's happening for them. That's good. That's real good. Um, sorry, I'm pausing for a moment because I'm thinking, uh, well, that wasn't a hypothetical as a pastor, but just trying to think through just even some of the spaces that we have. Do we, do we create those environments? That's really good. Uh, I have a number of questions, but I, I want to scratch where it's itching for you guys. And... Um, so if anybody has, just to be clear, the calling up of people to do stuff is done. Right? Yes. <laughs> no yeah. more victims tonight. Sure, the back. Yep. Brother, thank you so much for sharing. I, I, you guys hear this from me often. The power of story and the power of narratives, and we all have a story. And often it's in the telling of that story, it's in the giving of space to hear that story that we go, oh wow, like I, I, I didn't know that about you and the similarities, like it's, it's, it's crazy how much we have in common. So I guess I'm gonna have, we're gonna have to scrap most of my sermons because I, I use the word broken a lot. So clearly <laughs> we're deleting those tonight. Um, but, but it's not just those things. It's just the simplest of things. Like even as you're sharing, I'm, I'm in my head going, yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can see that in my own life. I can see that. And then how you talk about God through it is an encouragement to me. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, thank you. 
Any others? Over here, Adrian. Hi. So, um, my parents have a lot of pain. Um, my dad much more so than my mom. Um, my dad doesn't believe he even should have been born. And my brother went missing 10 years ago and was never found. They've immediately after that happened, we relocated to, uh, to Germany, a place that doesn't speak English, a place where you can't make friends easy. And my mom still to this day spends every day alone watching YouTube videos. And my dad works from home, so he spends a bit of time with her during the day. They have a lot of pain regarding my brother. Mm. They kind of like, it's not even a topic you can bring up. Mm. Um, I've dealt with it. I processed the pain and everything. How do I help them realize that they actually need to deal with it? Because it's pushed so deep. It's mm. hindering them from being the parents that I knew before it happened. Mm. And it can manifest itself in the most vile ways. Mm. How do I help them come to terms with the fact that there is actually pain that needs to be dealt with, first of all, before even helping them deal with it. Like, if they don't even think there's a rock that needs to be given, how do I take it from them? A really good question. And I think it's one, can I, I think it's one that um, we can also relate to, because you're right, I didn't, I didn't say anything in terms of what do we do when people don't want to share the rocks or when they don't realize that there are rocks in the first place? It's a really valid question. So I have two responses. Um, the first one is that I think it's incredibly painful to watch somebody you love in pain and not be able to be allowed into that space. That is a hugely helpless, almost devastating place to be in because you can see it but you're not allowed to access it. And and I think that we can only access what we are given access to, even when we desperately want to access so much more than that. Um, so it's got to be something that they they are willing to acknowledge or to share with you. If if you can see that that's not going to happen, um, as you've said, and you really you love your parents deeply, as I can see through how you're speaking. I think, I think sometimes we have to, now, if the, if this is a good fit for you, take it. If it's not, you don't take it. But I think sometimes we have to find a lot of almost courage to be able to say to someone, I'm worried about the pain that you're carrying, even if it's not something that they will open up or access to you. Is that a possibility? Do you think you could say to your parents, just in an open conversation, you're really concerned about what you see? Okay. So if your mom would respond to it, then I would probably start there, because people process things at different times. So if your mom was willing to start processing it because you would have that kind of conversation with her, then that's where I would start. And we would pray and hope that your dad would process it in his own way, watching your mom process it and watching you process it. Do you have a very close relationship with your dad? Yeah. 
So I think, I think in the moments where the reason I'm asking that is if you have, if you have access to being able to say something like, um, today I thought, what, what was, what is your brother's name? So today I thought about Kewan and, um, open up a conversation like that or make a comment. If you have that space with your dad, then you could do that too. And, um, Maybe even tell them how you've been able to deal with it or how you felt you've dealt with it. But as I said, you will only be able to access what they're willing for you to access. And so it might be a very painful thing that you'll have to circle back to, that you weren't able to do, you weren't able to kind of help them face it as much as you desired to, but you did whatever you, whatever was within your power to do. Does that make sense? And I'm sorry, that's a, that's a difficult and painful thing to face. I want to ask a question myself, and, and it's, I'm very comfortable with it, so it's all good. Um, medication and coping um, and community. So I've got church I'm on medication, and I've got family. Mm any one of those three were missing, it would be very hard. Mm. So how how do we address as Christians the mm. tension of medication, mm. and I'm talking about depression, ADHD, yeah. Yeah. whatever the combination is, mm. how do we make people feel safe in mm. church that medication is okay? Mm. No, just uh, I think there's a mm. lot of space for that maybe yeah. to be talked through. Thank yeah, and, and then, sorry, last thing, some yeah. of it is for a short period, mm. others on it permanently, mm. which I'm the latter. Mm. So how do you how do you help there? So that is a brilliant question. Thank you so much for raising it. Um, as I said earlier, I could only skim the surface of so many things that I could have spoken about tonight. But medication, I find, is a contentious topic. And I, I inquired of the pastors that I worked with, I asked them about medication, you know, what, what are some of your fears, what are some of your thoughts? And almost without fail, every pastor said they um, are nervous around medication because um, at times they've seen it be used in a way that's been detrimental to people that they've worked with. So what we do know and I, I could have bought um, a, a fMRI scan to show you. If I look at depression, if I do the imaging scans, and I look at a brain of a person who does suffer from depression, then you will see on the brain scan that they are, I'll, I'll say it in um, kind of as non-medical terms as I can, there are areas of the brain that are supposed to light up that don't. So it look, almost looks like a cold brain. It's like a blue brain with a few areas of yellow and red. If I look at the brain of a person who does not have depression, all the right areas of that brain light up. So the activity is correct. The neurotransmission is correct. Everything functions correctly. But with the brain of a person who's suffering from depression, the brain activity looks vastly different. So that is on an organic, physiological level, and that can only be corrected optimally with medication. So there are many things. You can ask your 
um, doctor as well. There are many things that I feel need to be treated with medication, whether you're a Christian or you're not. Because if I am going to say I have severe bronchitis, I go to the doctor, she gives me an antibiotic. Actually, wait, let me rewind. I have severe bronchitis. I phone One. One, I've got really bad bronchitis. Can you guys pray for me at church on Sunday? Awesome. Lay on hands, pray. Great. Trust it for healing, okay? Then I, I'm not getting better. So, and that happens, guys. We trust and pray for healing, but, but that's not always something that we have, well, we never have sovereignty or control over that, okay? So we don't always, um, see people get healed immediately only through prayer. So Monday, I'm still feeling sick. I'm going to go to the doctor. Doctor gives me antibiotics. Great. I'm on a five-day course of antibiotics. On the sixth day, I realize I'm just not getting better. What do I do? I go back to the doctor. She gives me another course of antibiotics. After my second course of antibiotics, I'm not getting better. What does she do? She admits me. Intravenous antibiotics. Still not getting better? Then I'm going to ICU. So on a, in a medical model, on a physical body, when we have sickness and illness, we pull out all the stops. Like we don't stop at anything to heal physical illness. But when it's psychological or psychiatric, then we get very nervous. And I, I really, if there's one thing that, that is so important for us to know, I, I have a psychiatrist colleague that I work with. We've been working together for 10 years. She's born again. We often do presentations together. And if I could get her to come and tell you the physiological organic basis for depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, you would see that it is located, a lot of it is located in, in your body. So that is why we need medication, and we must have medication. Some of it, you write, is short-term. Some of it is long-term. If I'm a diabetic, I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. There are some psychiatric conditions that require medication permanently. Not all of them, though. And with that, we have therapy, and we have prayer, and we have community. Research shows that the best way to navigate through psychological distress or diagnosis is the combination of medication if needed with psychotherapy. That's what the research tells us. So you're right. It is difficult. A lot of people think, um, I take medication and then I'm almost like giving in or it's a weakness that I need medication. You don't need medication. Your brain needs the medication or your your body needs the medication. We've got to regulate ourselves physiologically. So you're right. Thank you. If you, sh- if you should be on medication and you're not, what damage are you doing to the people around you, mm-hmm. especially your family? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we can go for the whole, we can follow the Bible, biblical root, which is absolutely perfect and correct, but to what detriment? So now you, you're honoring in one area, but you're destroying in another. Mm. See, so... Yeah. yeah, that's that's all right. So you trust God for healing, but then when you get home, because you're struggling from depression, and because you're not treated correctly, you end up destroying relationships in your family. So that's a good point. Medication's important, and it needs to be destigmatized. Hi. So you spoke about people uh, coming alongside you 
through pain, and I, you spoke about both sides, and also through life, so through mm. the human experience. But how do you recover from people dropping that ball? Mm. So, yeah, people, even this community, whoever mm. else, don't do that perfectly. Yeah. Um, how do you withdraw from that? So withdraw that privilege to be vulnerable. Mm. And how do you rebuild that with those people? So not with new people necessarily, but with those people that disappointed you. That's a fantastic question. Um, I, I want to answer that a little bit from my own personal experience, not just from me as a professional. Like I want to maybe look at the gold in my life and then figure that out. So I, what I have learned as a person, as a professional, as a mom, as a wife, is that people do disappoint us constantly because I am completely fallible. I am 100% human and I'm 100% prone to making mistakes or failing or best of intention, not quite meeting the mark. So what I do find with pain is, remember when I, when Lee, when I said to Lee, you know, if she stopped there and I drew alongside her and I said, I've been in this pain so I can understand yours. We also don't want to patronize pain. If, if there's somebody in the audience tonight who has lost a child and I say to that person, don't worry, I know exactly what it feels like. I don't because I don't live that person's life. I didn't lose that child under those circumstances. So we have an appreciation for pain with one another, but we also don't want to form an arrogance of, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. Because that, that almost invalidates one's experience. So when you're drawing alongside somebody, you're drawing alongside somebody for their good and for what they need, not for what you can kind of reflect about your own journey. So it becomes, it's all about them, much less about you. And when people disappoint, because they can be really well intended. Um, the other thing I've seen with pain is people say things that they mean very lovingly, but that are shocking. Like you just, what? <laughs> what did that person just say? People intend well, but they say the wrong things. And you've got to develop a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of love for the people that that disappoint. So I think that if somebody has really disappointed you in the midst of your pain, and it's a relationship that's, that's central to who you are, and it's a safe relationship, then I think there is space within that relationship to have a discussion about that, to say, look, you are important to me, I love you, your friendship is valuable, and I'm dealing with something, and it's hard for me, I just want to discuss it with you, because I felt... I felt, like that, I know it's a cliche, but it works. <laughs> I feel, instead of you did, I feel disappointed or I feel hurt or I feel um, neglected, whatever the word is, and to see if you can rebuild the relationship from there. The other thing that's hard is that not all relationships can be, I, I believe all relationships can be rebuilt, but not all relationships are because sometimes people just struggle to rebuild. And, and sometimes that can also be okay. Do you want to add um, from a spiritual perspective? Ooh. 
Okay, let me rephrase. Do you want to add from an one perspective? <laughs> no, then there's no there pressure. There we go. There we go. Um, it's something that I've... So your question is so valid and so important because mm. it's something that I feel in the last two, two and a half years uh, since this, I've seen more than I've ever seen in my life. Um, the, the one word, if you look at that banner, the one <clears throat> or the one section that probably gets us in the most trouble um, is not gospel-centered, is not disciple-making. Um, it's the, the fact that we're trying to be transcultural. Sorry, over there. Um, and and so the la- it feels like the landmines are everywhere. Mm. Um, it, and maybe I'm gonna, I might ask this question in a moment, but um, just just dealing with, so if story is important, narratives are important, uh, not only as individuals, but collectively. Mm. Um, there is a narrative and a story, and and so if there's deep hurt and pain that births um, shame and guilt or bitterness and anger, uh, it just feels like the landmines are literally everywhere. And, mm. and so it's, what do I say? When do I say it? Mm. Uh, what's culturally appropriate? What's not? And then when I make a mistake, when I use the word when, because I brace yourselves, folks, if you're at Rooted Fellowship, I'm going to make a mistake. Um, how do I come back and in such a way that it's like, no, we can, we can still be friends. Like we can, you know, I missed the line. I, I totally misread you. I, I, um, it, so it's incredibly difficult. It's something that I feel like I brace myself for every Sunday. Um, on top of hoping the screen works and the coffee is made on time, but and those and those are brilliant. Coffee is always brilliant. Um, so maybe that's my question: is is to say, um, with the narrative and the, and the history that we have, um, has that done something to us psychologically? And and what are the implications of that? Um, the obvious, the obvious one, and, I, and and even that might be something stupid to say to say obvious, but the obvious one would be. Uh, the folks that were there in the heat of it. Um, but if I look across the room, there's many who maybe were born after that or, or around mm-hmm. the time where things were starting to change a little bit. Um, and so here I'm talking about the implications of, like mm-hmm. the, 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 the ramifications of, um, and then still the visuals that we see yeah. every day that, that probably trigger something mm-hmm. that I, I've heard or I've experienced. So, so can you speak into that as a, I think, we, you know, we, we've spoken to it as individuals, there's trauma and there's, mm. there's pain and so forth. But now, what, what does it do to us collectively, um, yeah. specifically for where we find ourselves in South Africa? Mm. <clears throat> so, I think um, when I chose the research topic that I did for the doctorate, it was with a specific kind of problem in mind. And the problem that I had in mind was mental health is not always well facilitated within the church and Christianity is not always well facilitated within the area of mental health. So that was kind of where I thought I was going. And in my writing up now and my coding of the data, the biggest thing that has come forth is not what I thought I was going in in for, what has come forth is that our country historically carries in indescribable pain and difficulty and trauma, and that we are living within a context where if we 
continue to ignore that or underestimate it or deny it, that we are perpetuating pain and trauma and difficulty. And that is the biggest finding at the moment with the research is that that we have a specific context within South Africa that is not replicated in any other country, any other region of this world. And we have to be honest and vulnerable and open about the fact that we are still dealing with many ramifications. Um, so whether you said we may not have been in the heat of it, um, but the heat is still felt. And I would love to see us being able to, even in a context like this, have a discussion around what are some of each of our experiences or pains or um, difficulties in terms of our historical context. Because I think for as long as we pretend and don't say anything, what we don't say, we're going to act so I think if we can be courageous enough, if this generation can be courageous enough to have very open, very straight, very raw conversations, then the transcultural becomes something that we can speak about instead of just trying to make it happen without saying much. Oh my goodness. I apologize, everyone. That, so uh, do I. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> gone over. Maybe I'll take. Maybe we can take one more, and then I'll I'll close this off and send us home. Ooh. Okay. Is it long, bro? It depends. It depends. So yeah, I'll put pressure on you because there's one more person that wants to ask a question. So there you go. No problem. Thanks. Um, just to begin by saying thanks for throwing rocks at me. <laughs> um, so I'm very mechanical in mind, um, the way that I process things. So it is very helpful to um, see the process of pain. I think that's how you call it. That whenever those old stuff comes back, um, it's not so much about you. Um, and you don't have to really blame it on yourself or blame it on your faith. It's just the way that um, like things in life will actually trigger those moments. So that's, mm. for me, it's actually, it's actually a good tool to say, okay, when this stuff comes up again, it's actually because it's just life. Um, then there's community, there's Christ. Mm. So, so from my side, that was very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Bonnie. Good evening. Hi. Um, so you spoke when you when you gave your your initial illustration. You spoke about how when you greet someone, um, they sort of like expect you to be fine type mm -hmm. of thing. And if you're not fine, then it's sort of taboo, especially yes. in a church context. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, when do you then? Um, how do you then communicate your pain in community if it's deemed taboo? Like, you can see your, the reaction when you mention mm. something, so automatically you just close off. But then mm. what's the point then of being in a space where you 
suppose you can trust and then you mm -hmm. can't because of their looks and, and mm. yeah. Mm. Great point. So, Une. <laughs> um, so, I think I know what you're trying to do here is create a context where that that can be better facilitated, but you don't always find that context in other places. I think there's also wisdom, um, and I'm sure it's in Proverbs, but there's that verse that says, don't throw your pearls to the pigs lest they get trampled underfoot. And I think sometimes we do have to exercise discernment and wisdom in terms of who we allow into that sacred space, because I have seen times in which people have given something very painful and very vulnerable and very raw to someone that actually doesn't treat it with respect. So I think first and foremost, we really need to pray and trust that, that we are given people in our context and in our community where we are, we feel safe to give them those pills. Um, and that we exercise discernment and who we share those things with. I think once you have identified a, a person or a few people, bearing in mind that people do disappoint us at times, but I think we, and this again, this is a cliche, so please bear with me, but you know that, that saying, you are the agent of change? And I think for as long as a cycle perpetuates as a cycle, it remains a cycle. And you need one person to change that cycle for the cycle to look different. And so we can change cycles. And if there's somebody that you do trust and that you want to draw along side and you want to be closer to, then I would encourage you to take a small step towards that. And when that person says, how are you doing? And actually you're not doing well, that you can find the courage to say, you know what, actually I'm struggling a little bit. And allow that person to then navigate that with you. But being, being wise in who you share that with. And the more people do that with one another, the more it creates an environment where that is safe. Thank you. It's a good word. That's good. Um, if I may add just briefly, um, if you're talking about being the, being the agent of change, um, anything that we practice, we become good at. Um, yeah. Another way to say it is the more reps you put into something, the better you become. Hashtag CrossFit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but but that's but that's both for for good things and bad things. Yeah. You know, um, the more you complain, you'll become a professional at it. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that I've learned is the more I, I'm vulnerable, mm. um, the more I'm transparent. Yeah. Uh, and the the easier it becomes, and and people begin to notice that, and you become that safe space for people to come and go. You know, I can. Over here, I can be like, I'm just okay. But when I speak to so-and-so, it's like, you know, when they ask me, how are you doing? There's a genuine, like, they really want to know. Mm. Um, and so being that first person to try to create that change is, is, is difficult. It's incredibly mm. difficult because it's awkward and it's weird. And it's yeah. like, why are you saying that? Why are you, you know? But, but if you continue, if you put in more reps into it, eventually people will go, this is real. Mm. Like, this is genuine. Um, there's a reason, and I'll close with this. There's a there's a reason why, if you come to Rooted and if you've been with us for a while, you'll see there's tons of stuff we repeat. 
over and over again. We repeat who we are every Sunday. Um, but I want to I want to point us to how we wrap up our Sundays. Um, there's a reason why we close with a benediction. There's a reason why someone will explain what that is. There's a reason why we ask you to take the hand of the person next to you. Because one, we're forgetful people. And so we forget that we're made for community. You've heard it over and over again. We are made for fellowship. And I know it's like, gosh, he's going to say that. Like, I, like sometimes I look at y'all's faces and be like, benediction is broken up into... Like I can see you mouthing that. Benna means... Yeah, and I'm like, but there's something good about that. Like I used to think it was like, oh, this is kind of dumb. But it's like when you guys... Do, some of y'all will just start... Grabbing the person, like, I can almost imagine, like, someone who just showed up for the first time. And, and I, before I even say, I'd like you to extend your, like, you guys are really like, and I, I would think, like, are you trying to, are you trying to steal my phone? Like, what are you, but, but because it comes naturally to you, you're aware of, like, hey, he's going to say something about community and that I'm made for it. And the hope is that when you leave and you're leaving in a horrible state, like, maybe the music didn't do it for you. Maybe I preached longer than I should have. Like, uh, there's something that goes, but hold on. Like, before I get into my car and drive away with this burden that I'm carrying, I'm made for community. I'm made for fellowship. And it's not perfect, but hopefully there'll be glimpses of, of the goal that would encourage you enough to say, you know what, if they can get through that, if, if Nasibu can, can share a story like that, then, Man, I'm going through some stuff, and um, if Neil can say what he said, Bonzi can say what he said, many others, it's like, then maybe I can also share that, and, and I can be okay. Mm. I think if we win there, then that's that's if nothing else happens at Rooted Fellowship, and 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 that that becomes the story that we're remembered for is that this was a safe place where imperfect people would point one another to a perfect savior. Mm. And my work is done. Um, so, so yeah. So my hope is, is guys, that we would do more of this, and and you know, you you'll definitely see more of the common room in what we do, because um, I think this is needed. I think it's vital. Oh, are you burning to say something? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So if you're not in a city group, there's a connect cards at the back. That, no, <laughs> no, but but Bez, you 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 hit the nail on the head. Um, that's why we do city groups. That's why we do discipleship groups. That's why we do accountability groups. Um, because they are vital. They are you, you're speaking to, and I say this regularly on a Sunday. You're speaking to an introvert who believes that he can live in isolation. And I'm saying, without it, like I will not make it. My marriage will not work. My how I parent my kids will not work. How I try to love you guys will not work. I need spaces where I can let the valve open up a little bit and let that pressure come out. Um, so yeah, thank you. Permit me to pray for us, and then I'm gonna send you home with a massive apology because I know, hey, shh. <laughs> but we it's Africa, right? <laughs> Hashtag Wakanda forever. No, um, let me let me pray for us. And and guys, I think there's more coffee. If there isn't, uh, you don't uh, have to go home, but you definitely must leave. All right. So <laughs> go get coffee somewhere at a coffee shop. And 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 then on a serious note, if 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 something stirred in you and you feel like you just want to chat to someone, 
Um, there's a number of us that are here. I'm here. Steven's here. Uh, Wendy, you saw me. No. Um, no, but there's a number of us that are here. And, and feel free just to grab someone and say, hey, I just want to chat. Um, please, guys, don't, don't leave here with something stirring in your heart. Um, God is up to something. All right, and so with that, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you um, that your Holy Spirit moves and leads and guides. Um, and that was evident tonight. God, uh, if there was one thing um, that you would have me say is uh, we are in desperate need of you. Uh, we are in desperate need of a Savior. Um, that for many of us, there are things that we are carrying and we have told ourselves, we have believed the lie um, that we will we'll never overcome this, um, that people will never understand us and, um, and we can never be mended. Um, but Lord... You died on the cross so that that would happen, that we would experience restoration, that we would be redeemed, that we would be adopted, that we would know we have a seat at the table, that we have our Father's ear. And so because of that, there is nothing that will separate us from your love. Nothing that we have done or that has been done to us. And so Lord, I ask that we would all experience just your loving embrace, that we would be like the prodigal son who uh, is not sure how we will be received when we come to you. Um, we probably have a number of things that are racing in our minds and our hearts with excuses and reasons and uh, stories to tell. But yet we see the loving father running to the son, embracing him, and knowing that his son has returned. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true for all of us, um, especially for those who are carrying heavy burdens, that they would know that, uh, Jesus, you are with us, that you love us, and that you have given us a community. You have given us men and women who will surround us and remind us of your love and point us to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so I'm thankful for this night. I'm thankful for Wendy and I'm thankful for Jan and I'm thankful just for their lives and their stories and, and God, how you have carried them, uh, the stories of grace that they will continue to share and tell and that that would be of great encouragement uh, to many who do love you and have crossed the line of faith and to those who have yet to know you, Father God. I pray uh, that you would use them in a mighty way. And so Lord, send us out with your truth that we are made for fellowship. And that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That there is no judgment where you are seated. Only love, mercy, and grace. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, can we give a round of applause to Winnie? Just thank you so much for tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm.